0: Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and consumer-facing startups. If you're a founder of a B2C business and currently fundraising, I run a private newsletter where I share companies to past and future guests of the show that I think are interesting. If you'd like to apply to be on the newsletter, head over to theconsumervc.com backslash startup. Our guest today is Catherine Dockery, founder of Vice Ventures. Vice Ventures is a seed-stage venture capital fund conquering stigmas and striving towards superior returns by investing in good companies operated in quote-unquote bad industries. Investments include early-stage companies from non-traditional verticals, including cannabis, alcohol, CBD, esports, addiction recovery, sex tech, and others. Some of her investments include Recess, Lucy, and Player's Lounge. It was great chatting with Catherine about various vice categories since we haven't really covered too much of that on the show. So, without further ado, here's Catherine. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, especially on a Friday. How are you holding up in these times?
1: I love quarantine. I think I might be the only one, but I I'm I'll be sad when it's over. Although I know that's like really selfish to say. So,
0: what attracted you originally to startups and investing?
1: I got my first start working for the founder of Bonobos, Andy Dunn. He hired me. Uh, randomly, we met from the job i had previous to that he came up to me and was like i think you're really smart i want to hire you like i need help doing this and then in two weeks later he was like here's all the investments i made like figure out what they're worth <laughs> i mean which was like honestly like the best introduction to venture capital possible because like you have a huge portfolio you see, but you break it down by category, you see what's doing well, what's not doing well. And why do I not? Like why some are more capital intensive, whatever. And I just found that so fascinating. And I loved working with the founders in this portfolio. And I just thought it was like so incredible to build something that I definitely wanted to get involved.
0: Sounds like an amazing opportunity. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what what compelled you to start Vice Ventures and the opportunity that, that you saw.
1: Yeah. Um, so I would say the inspiration for Vice Ventures originally came from my dad, who was a bartender at the West Village, um, this bar called The Corner Bistro. Um, and he raised me very, very liberally, uh, basically saying that like everything is okay to try once except heroin. My dad is like, he's such an amazing human. And so I was talking to these companies, I remember early on, because um, I made an investment when I was working for Andy, my personal investment. And they... Whether it was a wine in a can or it was a beer or a cannabis product or even just like a sex toy. All these founders, I would sit down with them. I would hear the stories and then I would hear how difficult it was fundraising for them try to close rounds when none of these funds could invest in what they were doing. I, that's when I, I like kind of got like the inkling of an idea to do that. like provide like relief to these founders. But then when I was leaving Walmart or I told Andy I want to leave Walmart. So it went over a six month period of me still there. So I interviewed at like a ton of funds. Like you name the consumer venture firm. Like I've probably interviewed there and they all asked me to pitch a business. So I pitched um, this canned wine company that I personally invested in and Almost every fund manager, like unanimously, it was just like we love the founder, we love the brand, we love what they're doing. It's so interesting, but unfortunately, we can't invest because we have this vice clause. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> like you're gonna miss out on like great opportunities um, and high exit potential opportunities because you have this vice clause, or you don't feel comfortable putting down money for alcohol. I'm like that's ridiculous. And every fund I did, I went to, had the same thing. Yeah, uh, it was crazy. And then I realized that I couldn't work at another place that I didn't necessarily believe in the mission of. So then I put together an SPV for this company called Recess and invested in them uh, it was one of the first investors. It's a CBD sparkling water. And then that kind of proved the thesis out because they had trouble raising from institutional capital as well um, because it had 0.3% THC. So which was crazy because I mean, like to me, it was like the strongest brand. The product was great. The founder is like such a, like, a legendary visionary human that I like knew you would operate successfully. And meanwhile, like nobody, like none of these VCs could invest early on. No, yeah. I mean, so that's, I basically from there, I was 25 years old. I, um, called most magnificent and magical lawyer, Luke Bagley. And he like walked me through like these steps it needed to do for me to like start and launch this fund. And it's been going ever since.
0: That's amazing how you were able to see that opportunity opportunity and really capitalize on that. They have this vice clause in a lot of um, funds that, uh, really an opportunity for you is it is it hard for you when you're when you're raising around maybe as a seed uh as a lead investor to actually to actually syndicate and find other investors for these for these companies or or have that been from your network have you actually been able to really provide a a ton of added value there as well in terms of bringing other investors into the mix
1: i i, I mean yeah one thing about being part of vice Vendors, i kind of like consider it like a family which is i don't know might be naive but Our investors love what we're doing. Like, they love vice managers. They love um, the thesis. They have all made money on like vice companies in the past. And because of that, they love to co invest. Um, So, usually, like, we've co invested in almost every deal that we've done so far. And they're all like my LPs are some of the most amazing people, in my opinion. I mean, they believed in me when I was like 25 or 26 years old they all, um, not all of them, but a majority of them manage money. So they help me when I think about scaling the fund or they help me when I think about, um, evaluating an investment and, um, they're just great. Like I'm learning so much from them and like, I'm really, really lucky.
0: Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Wanted to touch on your due diligence process. You talked about how, you know, that, that one company you were thinking about had a really strong brand want to just take this walk me through a little bit of 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 what is a strong brand to you and kind of how do you um, analyze
1: brands um yeah so to me a strong brand is definitely i mean a great example is take a recess i um committed on the spot when i met ben because like if you think about take a recess every american has taken a recess like literally like i would love to know who hasn't um and you have this opportunity to capture this customer who feels nostalgic and who wants to be nostalgic and then reads on the can, oh calm, cool, collected. Like I'll feel calm if I drink this too. Um so that to me is like a really, really strong brand. And I would argue that recess is the brand is so strong that it's doesn't it's way surpassed the product they're selling.
0: Since there's such a low barrier of entry to start a new DNVB, how do you think about what it takes for a brand to get past kind of the noise online and be successful online?
1: Yeah. So I think, um, I'm going to be shooting myself in the foot saying this because my portfolios are doing so well, um, D 2 C right now, but I think the future of, uh, venture consumer investing is definitely an omnichannel product. um, I mean, that's something I learned at Walmart, like a third of America walks through a Walmart a week. So if you can get your product in a Walmart, like that is a huge deal. Like you could potentially sell a lot more than you would um, than if you just sold DTC online, especially after a marketing spend.
0: How do you analyze maybe like a DTC brand that hasn't yet gone Omni? They're too early, but you know, you think that they're going to be able to get past the noise.
1: Another great example would be Lucy. Um, which is the nicotine gum business the, so there to be clear like they're not smoking cessation So they're not a cigarette. so they can be Like kind of where they want to be they'll be passing PMTA um, but in terms of brand and getting around uh, big tobacco, I think um, It just comes down to design and your brand's voice. So they're all about harm reduction so like, anybody who is smoking a vaporizer is trying to use that to reduce harm from the combustible cigarette is probably going to go to a Lucy Gum product, um, and I think that's a great way to grow your brand that way. If like, that, I mean, that's just an example for Vice companies.
0: That makes sense. And and in terms of like Vice companies, what attracted you initially to Vice categories?
1: Um, so my first job at college was trading high yield debt, um, and I also spent some time on an equity desk, and I would spend a lot of time kind of looking like because the market like moves a lot right like sometimes it'll be down three points it'll be up five points like whatever um and i just remember looking at it and looking at a day where like everything was like falling or crashing and having like the big tobacco companies like being fine and like <laughs> have like Constellation diageo like not as volatile as like the, as like a walmart or any of these other businesses that were like crashing that day Um, so that's when I kind of realized that there was a lot of money to be made in vices that was like my first experience of it, but there was no category for it. So like, I didn't know how to explain what I was looking at because nobody considered at the time that like vice could be a category of investing.
0: Got it. I know we were talking about this before, but you were saying that like when you're part of your due diligence process, it's really determining. And I, and I could totally see this too, especially, I mean, I'm sure that this is all investors, what they're thinking about as well, honesty and the founder. But I'm sure in vice, that can become especially tricky, especially looking to the legal work. Wanted just if you could take me through a little bit about maybe your process.
1: Uh, yeah. So I think a founder, um, what they do says a lot more than what they say, if that makes sense, um, especially when it comes to intellectual honesty. So to me, the way that I gauge very early on um, is. I basically am like, do you think you'll ever need a lobbyist one day? Like, you're operating in a gray zone. Like, do you – I mean, a lot of the companies are that I invested in. Uh, do you think you'll need a lobbyist? And early on, the founders that are like, yeah, likely – like, very likely you need a lobbyist. Like, I know, like, this isn't, like, gray space. Um, those are the ones that I immediately trust versus people who are like, I would never need a lobbyist. Like, the company's fine. It's G2C alcohol. It'll be fine. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like <laughs> – you're like you literally have no idea
0: so is it is it hard since i'm glad that you brought up gray space is it hard since a lot of what you invest in is gray area like i guess what kind of categories are you focused on primarily that maybe might be gray that you might be very bullish about, and then other other opportunities that might be gray that you think, you know what, this is too risky for me.
1: I think some sex tech companies don't always operate legally. which is like, like I've seen a few of them. It's like one, one, I'll just tell you an anecdote, it's pretty hilarious. One company they are starting a BDSM tour guide, <laughs> and I got this this business, and I was like, "What is this?" Yeah, you just see like very funny things. But anyway, but anytime it, um I have any questions about like regulatory or political spares or like government affairs or anything like that, one of our LPs is a very brilliant man named uh, Bradley Tusk. He has his own consultancy that he works with startups. And he also has his own uh, venture firm where they do that. So Bradley inve- invested personally into Vice Ventures um, and is an advisor and is an absolutely incredible person to know. Like I'll email him a cannabis company and I'm like, hey, like, do you think they're doing this legally? Like, I don't really know. And he'll write back and he'll be like, absolutely not like blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, it's exactly what I wanted.
0: I, I haven't met Bradley, but I was, lo- I was fortunate enough to have Jordan Knopf from uh, Tusk Ventures on the show. I know you touched on it before. I wanted to hear your thoughts about how you're seeing the future of the nicotine industry.
1: Yeah, um, I think the future of the nicotine industry is 100% hands down, point blank, harm reduction. So I think like anything that comes out is just gonna, I mean, we've seen a trend like cigarettes, then there was Juul. Now, I think there's Lucy, and I think Lucy will continue to create, like, harm reduction, nicotine, consumer products to help people not necessarily quit smoking, but transfer their addiction into something that's way less harmful.
0: Cool. And how do you think about, like, the relationship between, like, nicotine and cannabis?
1: When it comes down to addiction or it comes down to using nicotine and, like, relying on nicotine— I think that addiction is something mostly suited in like a ritual. So I think like the more rituals people have, like the more likely they'll get like addicted to their ritual. So whether that's ritual is having smoking out of a bong at 5 p.m. instead of having a beer or it's chewing Lucy gum and having a lozenger instead of choking on a jewel.
0: I wanted to hear also another focal point that you're focused on is alcohol. And I read a few articles about how Americans are drinking less booze. Uh, of course, you're the expert here. Uh, what are you per- perceiving at like that, the macro industry and how you're looking and uh, what do you look for in founders in terms of d- building disruptive alcohol brands?
1: Yeah, so, okay. So I'll attack the first thing. Um, it's actually a Not 100% true that people are stopped drinking less just because cannabis legalizes in their state. So, like, basically, what it looks like is that like it goes down, I don't know, but down like by 30% or something. And then, after like two or three months, people or a month when people have like stopped or haven't gotten over, like, they're like, woo, like, cannabis is so exciting. They can't wait to smoke all the time. Then they usually end up drinking again. So, it's like, it's like the, it's it's like a curve, like a inverted bell curve of like drinking
0: what are you thinking about in terms of like disruptive a- alcohol brands
1: yeah i mean there's one brand that i think is super disruptive, um disruptive not destructive um called 10 to 1 rum it's founded by um one of the youngest executives at starbucks he's a genius the bottle is beautiful the branding is awesome um they were listed in new york times as like one of the top sipping rums and like I don't sip rum. I don't know about you, but like before 10 to one, before 10 to one came or I put money in 10 to one, I was like, I hated all rums. rum.
0: <laughs> so I, so I wanted to break that down a little bit about the rum and, and, and thanks for using that example. Like for you at the early stages, when you were um, analyzing the company, like what made that brand so powerful to you?
1: It was just so authentic. Like the founder is from Trinidad, he has a, he has a very deep accent. He's incredibly bright. He like new beverage um like 10 to 1 it was just like a very strong name for the bottle I mean I can't show you the bottle right now but it's like an absolutely stunning rum bottle and then my husband and I spent some time in Guadalupe before we made the investment actually and we saw that like rum bottles looked like Caribbean rum bottles had that look um and it looks very different than anything else that's kind of like on on the market right now and he also yeah he's just a brilliant guy and everybody wants to work for him and like it was just such a no-brainer to invest there
0: Got it. How are you thinking about like the cannabis market? Because there's a lot of this is a very a bit of a bit gray area depending on where you live.
1: I think we're going to see a lot of mergers in cannabis brands. I mean, I only look at brands. I don't really look at dispensaries or anything else. And I think there's probably going to be a lot of uh, mergers, going to be a lot of companies that go out of business, there's going to be a lot of companies that like raised too much money to begin with and grew too quickly. And now spent all their money like have a huge team and like have no overhead like are too much overhead and like I think those ones are going to go out of business, or they're going to get sold for like pennies on the dollar. um, All in California. I think some of the brands that we see that got a kick from the pandemic—it's unclear to me if that will sustain. Um, I think people like just panicked bought in dispensaries, so I think we're going to see a lot of data in the next few weeks of like what was actually purchased and trends that slowed the trends that are slowing down a little bit.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that COVID will affect and influence a lot of M&A opportunities in multiple categories. How has COVID affected your investments and various vice categories?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm really lucky that COVID has had a very positive effect to like every almost every single one of my companies. Lucy's up more than 55% in sales or top line over like a three-week period, which is crazy. Um, just because it sounds like people are scared of their health. So Lounge is a betting platform where you play for money. Um, you play games like esports, like if you play Madden, or you play FIFA, or Apex Legends, or anything, and you go and you actually pay for money. Um, I believe, I can't find the numbers, but I believe they actually paid, they are up 145% in revenue in like a five-week period, which is totally crazy. And like, organic search rates For their website Yeah It's literally It's amazing Just because like There's no other Like where are you gonna bet Like there's no sports To bet on Like You're gonna end up Betting on your ability To play games for money Like Of course Yeah, it's just like it's just super interesting. And Drake actually invested in that company, which is like pretty cool. Yeah,
0: that's that's awesome, and that's really that's really great to hear that 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 your portfolio has actually been positively affected by it. Let's kind of dive in a little bit more deeper in esports. That's right. How do you see the esports market develop?
1: Um, I think it will um continue to get bigger. I think it'll be huge. Like if you look at the average player of an NFL player, uh, average age of an NFL fan versus the average even esports player it's like 48 i mean don't quote me on this but it's like I, I remember being like 48 versus like 22 or something um so i think like the the future is definitely more esports um would i bet on a team probably not um but would i bet on like an ancillary business to do well to support the teams yes <laughs> but i just think it's impossible to pick a team that will be a a winner
0: just my audience that aren't aware like what do you mean by like that that you would pick i'm um, like an ancillary to be a winner
1: so like players round is an ancillary e business like i would definitely invest in like more ancillary stuff like especially in sports betting like i've seen 145 sports betting companies which is crazy what do you think of that like i think the market's going to end up being like pretty fragmented it's good data nonetheless
0: yeah, more of like market like marketplace type businesses rather than the actual specific teams themselves is that is that kind of right
1: yeah exactly
0: i know we touched on quite a few but are there other consumer trends that you're really really focused on and you're really bullish on right now
1: so I, I think i talked about sex tech i mean i would love to get in touch with anyone from OnlyFans if they're listening to this i'm obsessed with fans i think it's completely brilliant i need an in there i'm excited i'm continually to be excited about nicotine i think harm addiction nicotine is the future for sure And if you look at like a lot of other products out there like it kind of points in that direction but also i'm excited about i'm excited about uh, a good alcohol spirits like a good rtd i think will do well uh, rtd is ready to drink for anybody that doesn't know that
0: that's great what's one book that inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally
1: personally elegance of a hedgehog best read the best book i've ever read definitely changed my life like seriously professionally the best book i've ever read like the hard thing about hard things i thought was really interesting yeah i haven't read the new ben horowitz one i don't think i'm going to sorry ben horowitz um i have the messy middle on my by scott besky on my shelf that i have not read yet that i need to read um so maybe that will be my favorite
0: No, that's great. That's great. What's one piece of advice for founders that are building vice type businesses?
1: Why are you here? I I mean, I ask almost every founder that because it's like, are you passionate? And like, that's a great question to find out very, like a lot about our person. Like they'll tell you why they're there. They'll tell you why you're passionate. Like they'll tell you where they came from. Like you get a lot from that question.
0: Do you have like like examples of like how you just think about passion and know passion maybe when you see it, or in examples that that entrepreneurs say?
1: yeah. um a great example is David Rentel of lucy slash Soyland. Um, I asked him why he was there, and he was like, because my wife doesn't want me to smoke cigarettes anymore." And I need like she's his wife is like an incredibly healthy person, most healthy person I've ever met in my life. And he was like, I needed to stop, but I couldn't stop. So I figured like, why not find a way to reduce the harm, and then tried other gums on the market and found that they all tasted like cardboard. And it was like, I could make my own nicotine gum that'll taste absolutely delicious like i will use and like i guarantee other people want it if i want it and i was like you told me that and i was like yes i'm in <laughs> here's all of my money here's all of my secrets <laughs> i love you forever please be my friend forever
0: what are you thinking about like the next the next stage of vice ventures
1: debating if we should add a chief of staff to the role and um, to the fund just somebody who can like wear a lot of hats because like running a fund like it's totally crazy um so it's one thing that we're like excited to the second thing for the next two years is i just like want my companies to succeed like i'll do anything it takes to get them to succeed and be happy with their success and um just watch the success of a founder it's the it's it brings me pure joy like it could not be better like i literally feel like the people i invest with are like I'm related to them. Like that's so much. I really love my founders.
0: That's great. Yeah, I've heard similar sentiments from other investors on how they think about their portfolio and their founders. What is your most recent investment?
1: I mean, the latest one, I did recesses, uh, recess out of the fund. And then we're working on a big investment that I am wildly excited about. Like I could not wait for it to come out. Um, I, i'm like obsessed with this team
0: it's awesome looking forward to hearing that announcement once it closes and everything that's going to be great catherine this has been such a pleasure thanks so much for uh for your time and it's, it's been really great learning more about vice ventures thank
1: you so much for having me i had a blast
0: and there you have it. It was great chatting with Catherine and all things Vice. You can follow Catherine on Twitter at Vice underscore Ventures. If you could please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app as it helps other folks find it, that would really be helpful. If you have a question you'd like to hear VCs or founders answer on the show, you can DM me and follow me on Twitter at Mike Gelb. You can also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. For all episodes, please visit the ConsumerVC.com. Thanks again for listening, folks, and please stay safe.